Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekold, joined, as always, by my colleague, Paul Tenorio. A little bit of a different show today for you guys. We were expecting to have resolution on the MLS CBA at this point. Um, we're recording here on Friday morning. Um, there is not yet resolution. The League and the Players Association extended the deadline for talks until 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Friday evening. Um, to get a deal done. It sort of seems like it's trending in that direction. We wanted to put something out anyway. We're going to talk about a little bit about the CBA, a little bit about Cincinnati, a little bit about some of the other moves that have been happening around MLS and involving MLS players here over the last week or so. Uh, and then we'll get in and out, kind of a shorter show, and then we'll then we'll have more content and, and another recording for you at some point after the CBA is resolved. So stay tuned for that. First, just laying out a little bit further where things stand with the CBA. The league issued a statement on Thursday evening announcing that it would extend talks until Friday. Um, And in that announcement, it basically said that the two sides are making progress um, and that there's a decent amount of ground left to cover, um, but things have have moved quite a long way. Um, From what Paul and I have have been told uh, the league is still holding firm to the two-year extension through 2027. And Paul, I'll, I'll get your take on this in a second, but if I had to bet on it, I would get guess that a deal would get done through 2027 with some givebacks to the players in the form of maybe loosening the restrictions on free agency and maybe some gains between 2026 and 2027 uh, financially. Um, anything, anything sound unreasonable from that to you? No, I think that's kind of what we've heard where the talks are going. I think what I'm interested to see is, you know, by conceding now that second year, you know, already they had made the the union had made an offer of a one year extension with those free agency gains and the economic increase was part of the league's original counteroffer. So you'd hope that the players get something more out of it than just those two things. Specifically, that stuff that was in that first offer is eliminated. So originally they had talked about flattening the salary cap over the um, life of the contract in order to not um, extend it a second year. I would hope and expect that though the flattening of that salary, the budget um, goes away and that we get back to those increases as we see it in, in this current version of the CBA. But I, it, I don't think there's anything major. Um beyond that that we should be expecting and um i'm I'm interested to see if if there are changes or not to the revenue share portion of the agreement but it sounds like you know the the players are um going to give into the league's demands and and sam i think you know one thing that i i really uh, feel like we didn't do enough of um in our coverage over this whole thing is that you know for a lot of people this felt like the inevitable conclusion uh, we wrote about it um, in our most recent story, but the players just don't have the money to miss paychecks. And for players who said publicly that they didn't want to take a pay cut in 2021, going through a um, a work stoppage would have meant, you know, a 16 to 30 percent pay cut, depending on how long it lasted. It's um, a pretty big deal. It's a pretty, pretty significant chunk of change to not have uh, coming in all of a sudden. So, you know, the league knew that. The league took a tactic where they knew that if it led to a work stoppage, that that they would get what they want, and and that's where we've landed. Yeah, and that's the undercurrent in all of these MLS labor negotiations, and has been for all time. Players make a lot more money now than they did even five years ago, let alone 15, 
in this league. Um, like a lot, a lot more money. Um, but the median salary is still what 180k in 2019, and and that's a good chunk of change. But that means 50% of the league is is making less than that. And a lot of these players are living month to month or paycheck to paycheck and can't really afford to miss all that much time, even with the union saying that it has a strike fund. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the undercurrent to everything here and and sort of makes these negotiations, uh, you know, the results a little bit inevitable. Um, I don't think the players are happy with how everything is shaking out. Um, but that being said, like, I'm not sure what the long term impact of that is. Um, and one other note here, if they do agree to a deal, from what I've been told, force majeure would then be off the table for the rest of 2021, but the league, it's it, it would remain in the CBA, and the league could theoretically invoke it again if the conditions are met in 2022 or beyond. So this isn't necessarily over, even if there is a, a deal tonight. You know, Sam, I was I was out shoveling my, uh, my, my sidewalk earlier today, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know why this popped into my head, but... I was thinking about something we're going to talk it's about because later you have in this problems. Show. I have really, really <laughs> big problems. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, some of the moves that we're seeing announced in MLS right now or, or you know, pending to be announced. And one thing that I think we, we haven't talked about either, which is that, you know, it, it was advantageous to the league to not give the players a pay cut in 2021. And why was it advantageous? Well, it's very difficult to request and advocate for a pay cut for players and then go spend a ton of money on signing players. And already, you know, triggering force majeure and going to spend a ton of money on players is a bad look. But I think that, you know, this from the from the jump, conceding no salary cut was a way for the league to to kind of say this is business as usual. We don't need to worry about saying, "Oh, we cut the salary of players, we can't go spend money." No, they they wanted to spend they want to keep spending money on players just, you know, not the players in the union that make up the majority of the union. They want to go spend money on the big money on transfers. Um they're not as worried about the middle class of of the MLS player pool. So, um anyways, that was just something that was running through my mind. Um just how well, I mean, honestly, Sam, like this was just very well played by the league, you know, they, they got force majeure in, in the summer, they triggered it as soon as they could. They, they leveraged the union's words against them. Um, and they put them in a place where they, they had very few options and, and they, they leveraged the, uh, the, the potential of losing your salary in the middle of a global pandemic as a way to force through what they want. I mean, the, the league's owners, you know, they put the hammer down, man. They, they put their foot on the neck of the union in, you know, in all the right ways. Yeah. I mean, they have all the power and they used it, right? They control this dynamic. They have all the advantages and they use those advantages and they, they clearly did not feel ashamed about doing so. Um, but to your point about spending, you know, the league said in some of its messaging around these negotiations that like we need years on the back end so we continue, so we can continue to spend in the short term to grow the league before the TV deal and the 2026 World Cup, which, okay, I mean, you, you probably don't need the years on the back end to continue doing that. Um, yeah, those and, years on the back end are happening anyway. Yeah. It's like, just whether or I not just, you control yeah, the just, terms. It's just, you know, it's just, it's it's power plays and it's using, using your power and squeezing every last bit out of it. And uh, these people are shrewd, right? I'm not saying 
this is like the moral or the nice thing to do. Um, but they're within their rights, it appears. And they're uh, from a business side, if not from a PR side, but from a purely dollars and cents side, I think, uh, I think owners will probably be pretty happy with how this all shakes out. I think with that, we can transition though. You know, there wasn't CBA news on Thursday night, but that doesn't mean there weren't eye popping headlines in MLS. Namely, out of Cincinnati, <laughs> um, the club seemingly out of nowhere, this was a pretty well-kept secret, I guess, um, is is reportedly, according to multiple reports out of Cincinnati, uh, going to sign 21-year-old Brazilian striker Brenner da Silva from Sao Paulo. Uh, reports on the fee vary, but the low end has it at $13 million transfer fee, plus, you know, $2 million or so in performance bonuses and a 20% sell on, uh, for him in the future. Uh, that's crazy money. And if that wasn't crazy enough, they're reportedly going after PT Martinez, bringing him back from Saudi Arabia. What? Six months after he left Atlanta for a reportedly pretty large fee, they would have to do some, you know, other, you know, maneuvering to get that deal done. Uh, namely moving up in the allocation order. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the name of our show. Uh, <laughs> and PT Martinez himself has posted on Instagram that he is, you know, not moving just now. Uh, so we'll see where that one ends up. But either way, they, I mean, in theory, Paul, they could be spending $20 million on two players in one day. And oh, by the way, that one day happens to be like 24 hours before the league might be locking the players out. I mean, like, the general reaction that I had to this was WTF, but spelled all the way, um, some hysterical laughter. And then I started texting people and they were basically feeling the same way. Um, people that work for different clubs around the league, they were just like, what is going on? <laughs> this is bizarre. Um, I loved it though. I think it could be fantastic or it could be, they just lit $20 million on fire. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's, Here's my favorite thing. FC Cincinnati has been unequivocally one of, if not the biggest disasters in Major League Soccer. To you know, they've just their expansion roster and season was probably the worst this league has ever seen. They're still trying to climb out of that hole. And you know what? To get out of that big of a hole, yeah, you probably do need to go spend a, a ton of money and and bring in real dps and not kind of like the tam level dps that they were bringing in before but what makes me so happy is that like cincinnati is still cincinnatiing this right like right now the market is is a depressed market as depressed as it's ever been because of the global pandemic like people aren't spending eight figures on transfer fees i think there's there were like six Five or six in this window that went above ten million dollars. I think it's above twenty million, not ten. No, I think it was above it just 10? ten million. Yeah, um, I was just going through the transfer market list. Um, now they they didn't have Brian Reynolds in there, so maybe you know the point is it's a handful, and the reason it's a handful is because all of these teams are desperate for money, and the prices have dropped because they need the cash in hand. So just it it pleases me that Cincinnati is still managing to spend a premium price on a on a young I mean but how striker. do you know it's a premium price how do you know it's not I a discount it. from what I, it would have been maybe you know hey 
Apparently, the kid's got a 50 million euro I don't know. Uh, I think, release I think, clause. So I don't know. if they're I think, getting him for 13 instead of 50, I, I got to give some, you know, some high fives to yeah, Gerard I think, My point is just that they're spending a lot of money at a time when most teams aren't, and it makes me happy. Right, but that, this is this is what we've been calling for, though, Paul. So we can't yeah. we can't sit back and laugh at this 100%. now. I'm, I'm, you know, it makes me happy. Like, how many times have we said on this show and written in our articles that like the, the strength of MLS is the financial strength of its ownership group? And by the way, Cincinnati's ownership group apparently just sold part of their company, Carl Lindner, part of his company, for three and a half billion dollars, or like. Like about a week ago. Um, so if he wants to take, you know, an infinitesimal percentage of that three and a half billion dollars and spend it on a 21 year old Brazilian kid from Sao Paulo, more power to him. But more power point, to him. point being here, right? How many times do we say COVID-19 and the financial effects of it is an opportunity for MLS to close the gap faster, right? Because these European clubs and these South American clubs are really hurting in ways that MLS teams are not economically. Right. So you can you can close that gap a little faster because you have a comparative financial advantage and, and that financial advantage has grown. And and if Cincinnati, if that's what this is, then bravo. I hey, don't man. know if it's going to work. I've never seen this kid play. Um, it, it's a ton of money to spend. Uh, he's He's got a decent goal record with Sao Paulo in Brazil. Um, he's played with Brazilian youth national teams. Uh, he, he's got a good resume. So there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, it's out of the blue, but this could potentially be really good. I mean, <laughs> I want to see it on the field because it is Cincinnati. Um, and because, you know, they've had 17 coaches and two years in MLS and everything that has gone wrong or could gone wrong has gone wrong for them. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. And if this works out, hats off to him. The PT Martinez thing, a little bit strange though. Yeah. Well, first of all, you were right to call me out on my hypocrisy because I have been we have been shouting a lot about teams going out and spending in this market while they can and while they while they are theoretically now MLS teams are the big spenders in the world. They have the cash, especially now that they have that extra two years on the CBA, baby. They're 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 golden. And so um, I, I just love I just love that it's coming at this time that it's FC Cincinnati that is that is saying, yeah, we're going to go spend. And, and, and that it causes, because FC, FC Cincinnati has been FC Cincinnati, you know, I think it, it, it shake thing, it should shake things up in MLS. Like it should make Columbus or Nashville, not Columbus may be a bad example, but Nashville and Houston and Orlando and, you know, all these other teams look around and go, ooh. If Cincinnati can spend this much money. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be getting shown up by Cincinnati after right. these first two years, you know? You know? And they're so opening like, a new stadium and they're they're doing they're doing big club stuff right now. Um and that's interesting and it's it's exciting and I mean when you talk about a Brazilian player who apparently has these this real interest from big clubs in Europe, you don't think of Cincinnati as the place in MLS that he's gonna end up for a lot of reasons. Um but hey, if they turn themselves into that and they course correct after their disaster of a first two first two seasons, then then good for them. They still have to work out this Jurgen Locadia situation as well. Um, so we'll see where that goes because I would assume you know this Brenner would obviously be a designated player unless he's under the U twenty two initiative, I guess, 
which still yeah, is he, not. He's definitely a U twenty two initiative. So the great thing about well, this, I mean, maybe here is, maybe not. We don't know what his wages would be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he could be a young DP. Either way, his I think, budget charge, I think Laurel, whichever way you put it, is a $200,000 budget charge. I think, so that, like, I think Laurel Feller reported that he would be a young designated player. So his budget charge is the same, but if he's a young DP, that's still a DP spot. So a little bit different. Um, they already have Yuyakubo and Locadia as designated players that cannot be bought down. Um, so if PT is coming and also coming as a DP, and I would imagine that he would be considering what his wages probably are in Saudi Arabia, um, then you need to make room and that could be Locadia who's there on loan. So anyway, there's a lot of hoops they still have to jump through to, to get these things done. We're going to move on in this, in this little quick fire episode, but I do want to point out, you know, when, when you have a chance to have Pitti Martinez play under a Dutch coach, you have to do it. A Dutch center back, a former yeah. center back who, yeah, if you, you know, if you maybe, it, maybe you played it. alongside Frank De Boer for the Dutch national team in the 90s. You got to do it. You got to do it. It's worked so well in MLS. Like, just the recent history is fantastic. Um, yeah, so that will be interesting <laughs> if this ends up happening. Um, but, you know, I'm here for Cincinnati being, like, just leaning into all the memes. They're the meme club. Of MLS. Um, other developments. Brian Reynolds officially sold to Roma on Monday. Uh, I guess not quite sold yet. It's a six month loan with an obligation to buy over the summer, which I don't know. I'm a little confused by that. The fee could rise as high as $11 million. Uh, some other moves, loan moves, short term loans that happened on deadline day on Monday. Jordan Morris, we knew he was going to Swansea. Paul Areola has joined him in Wales. Uh, DC ownership is also Swansea ownership. I wonder how they pulled that deal off. Um, no option to buy with Areola, which is interesting. Daryl DK moving from Orlando to Barnsley in the championship. Barnsley, of course, has an American CEO, Dane Murphy, who used to work for DC United, uh, for Real Salt Lake, for the New York Cosmos, played, played briefly in MLS as well. Uh, and who am I missing? Brian Rodriguez going from LAFC to Almeria in the Spanish second division. They're fighting for promotion, just like Swansea are. Um, Paul, I think there are a few different layers to these moves, but give me uh, give me some of those layers and give me your general thoughts. Well, I think in general, first of all, we have to remember this league is not starting till April third. So with the with these seasons going through the end of at May, best. I mean, yeah, at best April third. You know, you're missing a few games, but it's not a ton. It's not a ton of time that you're going to be without these players. They're going to be um in some cases staying fit staying sharp in other cases they're in the shop window the hope is that they perform really well and it opens you up to other buyers um and so this really should be a win-win scenario obviously the mls teams are carrying the risk of an injury to their player right like that's the big risk of any loan is that this player goes there and gets hurt and and you get sent back an injured player but um you know typically you you take out an insurance policy um, against an injury and, and that helps you on the business end of things, if not the soccer end of things. So I, I think these are smart moves. You know, Ariola, Morris, they're fighting for starting jobs, uh, with the U.S. national team. They want to stay in the mix on a very Euro heavy team. And that's, this is a way to go and play consistently. They'll be playing in the English championship. They'll be ready for those March, that March window that's going to be in Europe. They'll have a chance to be training with, um, with the national team with Weston McKinney and, Tyler Adams and um, 
Christian Pulisic and all those players that are there, Serginho Dest. Um, DK, totally different idea here, right? Young player trying to break into the U.S. Olympic team. Um, and really, this is about the potential for what DK could be. We don't really know. We have one year of him being a professional. This is a great opportunity. He gets a, a work permit, right? And so you 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 put him in the shop window now. If he goes and plays well in the championship, suddenly his price has gone through the roof. I know Orlando City fans were citing a $20 million sell-on. That's never going to be touched by a championship team, okay? It's not going to happen. The whole point of that being that high is that it's not going to get triggered. But what they hope for is that he goes and plays really, really well and that maybe a Premier League team says, hey, this this kid's worth you know, five million, you know, and maybe more considering what the, what the younger MLS guys have gone for. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's see. And, and then Rodriguez, Sam, I'll let you go into, into what this does for LA, because this is probably the higher, highest risk transfer, just edging out Jordan Morris, but certainly considering the investment, I think definitely higher risk. Yeah. Well, I think Jordan Morris, you know, that, that one feels to me like, you know, that was something that Morris wanted to do, and Seattle was like, "Yes, we will let you go because you've you've done so much for us." Um, with Rodriguez, it's an entirely different thing. What did they spend on him, Paul? I can't quite remember. Was it nine million or eleven million or, yeah, or something, something in that neighborhood? Something. Yeah. Al- they spent a lot of money to sign him. Uh, he he's continued to play for the Uruguay national team, but he has not really produced in MLS, and it's been bizarre because you watch this kid, and he's clearly super talented. You know, it's just like the final ball or his finishing just hasn't really been there. He's he's done great taking guys on, um, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't all come together with the final product. That said, he was making noise that he wanted to go, right? And the market wasn't really there for him from a buying perspective, probably because he hasn't really put it all together yet in MLS. But a team like Amaria fighting for promotion more than willing to take a guy on a loan, right? He's super talented. It's low risk for them. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this deal last night, and they told me there, there was a report out there that the purchase option was between 11 and $19 million, I think, um, depending on certain things. And what I was told is that there's actually a set number. It's not that range. A set number on the lower end of that scale, somewhere around 12 13 um, and there are automatic triggers in the deal. I don't know what those are, but there are automatic triggers in the deal. So if he hits certain benchmarks, he will, Almeria will have to buy him for the agreed upon price. Will he get to those? I don't know. I don't even know if they're reasonable or completely fantastical benchmarks. Um, but that's a little bit different than I think the other loans that we've seen. Uh, and I think that would allow LAFC to pretty much recoup their investment in terms of, Transfer fee, salary, and then whatever sell-on I think they have to give to Peñarol down in Uruguay. Um, so it's interesting, you know, <laughs> but it, again, it's putting a guy in the shop window, right? And it's putting him over in Europe. And if he does well, but I think the ideal scenario for LAFC is he does well over there, but doesn't trigger the option. And then somebody else comes in and buys him for even more, right? So I mean, like that, that's also the design of the Jordan Morris transfer, right? There's no triggers, but you put in a, an excessively large sell on, yeah. And the hope is that Swansea wants to buy him, but don't want him at that price, and it becomes a negotiation. And then you're also negotiating with every other yeah Premier League and, team and, that says, "Hey, look at this kid. Yeah. We want to bring him in." 
And basically, you're just goosing the value, right? You're, you're raising it maybe by 50%, maybe by 100% of what it would be had the player not gone on loan and just stayed in MLS, right? So, that's the point of these loans. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they play it out. I, you know, just real quickly here, because we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but, you know, I, I talked to Jesse Marsh for a story I'm working on just kind of about these transfers and loans that we've seen. Uh, here in, in the winter window from MLS uh, to Europe um, and the changing perception and all of that stuff. Um, and one thing that he mentioned regarding the U.S. players is that Greg Berhalter was really pushing these guys to go on these loans for some of the reasons that you mentioned, Paul, the uncertainty around the MLS schedule, the late start for MLS schedule, and all of the important international games that are coming up here in 2021. So just an interesting little tidbit there. Um but yeah, yeah get, so, get off, get off my Jesse Marsh beat, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, we it's it's weird how we how we uh, talk to the same people. You know, it's a small world, American soccer. <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, that story will be coming out pretty soon, uh, and it's interesting because a lot of the reason that we've seen guys like Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie and now Brian Reynolds move for the second, third, and fourth highest fees in MLS history for a homegrown player behind only Alfonso Davies, a lot of the reason that's happening is because of guys like Weston McKenney and Alfonso Davies and Tyler Adams and even Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic, who never played in MLS and moved over earlier. Um, they're changing the perception of what American and Canadian players can be in Europe, and that is creating more interest in American-Canadian players. It's raising the prices for American and Canadian players, and it's helping MLS become make progress to become more of a selling league. Before we close out, I just want to add one more thing to that, which is, you know, FC Dallas, uh, I think it was Clark Hunt that was saying yesterday, um, might have been Dan Hunt, that... One of the Hunts. One of the Hunts, that that FC Dallas has looked at... It might, have, it might not even been one of the owners. It might have... Whatever. FC Dallas was talking about how they are perceived differently in Europe from any other American club, which yeah. is right, right? Because Andre Zanotta told Andre me this. Zanotta, yeah. He so told they me have this, a, exactly. a proof yeah. of concept, right? Because mm-hmm. Weston McKinney leaves for free. He becomes Weston McKinney. Chris Richards leaves for $1.25 million. I think it got up to two with a sell-on. He's done quite well in Germany and, and looks like he'll probably be sold or, or end up staying at Bayern Munich, which would not be um, too bad of a consolation prize or the prize. Um Reggie Cannon goes to Boa Vista, and and now Brian Reynolds is going. And so I, I think and I hope that MLS teams look at Dallas and say, okay, this is a this is a business model that we can follow. It takes a couple things. One, it takes patience and continued investment, but it also takes a commitment from the first team, the coaches, the general manager, the owner, to say, yes, we might lose some games. We might not get as deep into the playoffs as we want to because we're going to stick with these kids and let them develop, but it's worth it in the long run. And by the way, you can do that. If that's a matter of perspective internationally, you can, it's a matter of perspective. Look, you can't, the point is look at what Dallas has done. They've won a supporter shield under this model. They've gotten to the playoffs and they've done it while missing, while missing on their international signings for the most part. And while not spending a lot of money. So if you take a team that is willing to do both, you can, you can hundred percent, more success. I mean, the Red Bulls and, have done it. 
Philly won the shield last year doing it, right? right? So, like, you can absolutely succeed. I'm not trying to argue against that. But what I am saying is that not every club is going to go down this route for a variety of reasons. Everyone's got a certain amount of resources that they're willing to spend. Everyone's got their own conditions. And Jesse Marsh, he he told me this. He's like, I don't think it makes sense for every club in MLS to put a lot into their academies. He's like, some teams, you're you're just not going to have the area. You're not going to have the talent. You don't have the, the resources. And so you allocate differently. Right. You can still sell players through this under 22 initiative. Right. And, and other things in that nature. Um, but that's an interesting way. Stop calling um, it the under 22 initiative on this show. Young money. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think the overarching thing here that I really want to drive home is, you know, I was speaking to a to a source who was who worked on the Brian Reynolds deal to, to get him over. And, uh, you know, he was talking to me about that, the dynamic of how McKenny really helped create a market for Reynolds with Juventus and with Roma and elsewhere in Italy. And what he said to me, the kids that bleeped off, he said the bleep, but the kids that bleeped off MLS to go to Europe, the kids like Weston are ultimately partially responsible for MLS players being sold for these big fees. And that's the overarching part here. The perception is changing and that's going to have benefits for MLS down the road. Anyway, I think we're going to wrap on that note. Um, we will be back at some point post CBA resolution to break that down in entirety. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this somewhat abbreviated episode. It wasn't that short, <laughs> but hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll be back pretty soon, probably even before next week, maybe even tomorrow, who knows, um, with, with a fuller episode on the CBA resolution, whichever way that ends up going until then I'm Sam. He's Paul. This is allocation disorder. Thanks for listening. <laughs>